0: You're listening to an Encore presentation of Manson Mitchell.
1: It's to swimming with bow-legged women.
2: TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody happy hot weekend oh my goodness i'm gary mance i'm suzanne mitchell together we are mance and mitchell in your ears for the hour glad to have you with us trusting that you got your fans at uh, fred meyer and other places costco and whatnot those are some empty shelves all that let's find out by saying hello to bad boy benny mathers at the board benny how are you cool i <laughs>
0: Finally, the you one know, time I get to say, yeah. we're going to beat you at
3: something. Oh,
4: <laughs> <you're> <laughs> we're going to crush gonna you. <laughs> like like 10 that. or 20 degrees. <laughs> yeah, uh, Florida's going to be the cool place to be. I can,
2: from, based on my recall, and Suzanne, correct me if I'm wrong, in the 10 years, coming up on 10 years, Suzanne and I have lived in Sarasota, Florida, and only twice can I recall that Sarasota in that time hit the 100 mark. And you're gonna kind of kick that in the butt in the next three or four days. Well done. Well, good job, Seattle. Way to leave
0: yourself on the mark, making the mark again here. We, we do it and we're just gonna crush
2: it. So
4: that's all I going to say. Uh, global warming? Yeah. And,
0: and
2: Thank goodness. You may not hear this too often. Thank goodness for new construction in Seattle because they hear that continues to go on. And that's where the air conditioning is catching on. Because if you go to the older homes, there, Seattle is about 30 percent air conditioned indoors. Now, this is apart from your corporate and commercial settings. But in terms of residences, I understand that 30 percent of those dwellings have air conditioning. Wow. AC is going to catch on quick. Yeah, I just now thought of it. I might just stay at work all weekend. <laughs> There you go. I it's mean, I nice, just cool building. I,
0: yeah, I'll just not? bring the kids. I mean, we got unlimited TV, food. We don't have to pay for everything. But they'll find out on Monday.
4: <laughs> Very good. Well, our
2: thoughts are with you. I mean, we have our air conditioning on uh, this time of year pretty yeah. much 24/7. Mm-hmm. We just set it to a comfortable temperature and we live homeostatically, mm-hmm. not that there's anything
4: wrong with it. Nobody lived in Florida before air conditioning and <laughs> then they said air conditioning was A miracle.
2: That's right. And the boom was on. Yep. First time guest today, Suzanne.
4: Yes. Very excited to talk to him. I'm going to go ahead and
2: do the mad props, as we like to call them, and we'll get this gentleman on the air and talk about The Way of Miracles. It is a book that has been out on the market for, what, I think three days Three days. This is hot off the presses, everybody. And our honored guest of this hour is Mark Minkola, PhD, a nutritional therapist, author of multiple best-selling books, executive producer, and quantum energy healer who has transformed the lives of more than 60,000 patients over the last 35 years.
4: That's a
3: lot of people.
2: Through his innovative genius, Dr. Minkola has integrated ancient Chinese energy healing techniques with cutting-edge nutritional science in what he calls electromagnetic electromagnetic, muscle testing, a -a one-of-a-kind approach that identifies each individual's unique needs. And so, for the first time, and glad to have you with us, Mark Mincola, so happy you joined us today. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much.
4: Very good. Gary and I have been reading your book, The Way of Miracles, and you have a very interesting personal story to tell. But before we get to that personal story, we want to know the weather where you are.
5: It's pretty funky. It's about sixty-five degrees and it's rainy and misty and gray as can be.
4: Oh, well, where are we triangulating from, Mark?
5: We're about, about an hour south of Boston.
4: Oh, oh okay. very pretty. Okay. In our time zone, at least. Yes, and we've we've yeah. been in that general vicinity before, Gary, traveling and, around. And very we'll nice, get there again. Nice part of the country. Very good. Okay, so we have the Northeast, the Southeast, and the Northwest all triangulating with this interview today. So, you know, we thought we would just kind of jump right into it. Gary and I have probably more questions than we can fit into an hour, but it kind of makes sense to us to have you start a a little bit with your personal story, if you don't mind.
5: Sure, that'd be fine. So if you go back about five years, my one of my sons introduced me to a film producer in New York. Her name is Christina Brashillo Bresson. Very talented, brilliant lady, done some amazing stuff, worked for for M T V for years and did a lot of PBS stuff and all that. She's a great lady, great very talented person. So I over the mess over the past, past thirty seven years, as you said, I've seen sixty thousand appointments. And we've done a lot of natural medicine for so many people. Cancer cancer cases, MS, Parkinson's, everything imaginable. And we've had some remarkable turnarounds, truly remarkable turnarounds, and we continue to have them with great regularity. We truly see amazing, amazing healing turnarounds consistently every week of our, of our, of our work life here. It's just incredible. And over the years we've seen so many of them, and it's a great story. So I, I thought it would be a great thing to produce a documentary and share with the world fact that miracles are possible and likely and can be created and can be more regular as a a common occurrence in a day-to-day life. And we sat down and thought about producing this film, Christine and I did, and we planned for weekends, we get together just about every weekend, talk on the phone extensively for four or five years, and we had the whole thing mapped out beautifully. We are going to present seven patients who had remarkable stories. One woman who had a brain tumor the size of a tennis ball, and she... Um, had this, the tumor surgically removed. Two months later, the tumor grew back. So he said, I couldn't go through the ordeal of brain surgery anymore. I've, I've had it with that. It's, whatever whatever I can find, I'll try it. it. Hopefully it works. If it doesn't, I'm just not going to go through surgery. I'm just determined to avoid surgery again. So we put on a program, worked very, very hard with her for natural with natural medicine supplements. We did everything. We worked, worked body, mind, and spirit. And in five months, the tumor completely abated. It disappeared in five months. And she's been tumor free for nine years. So she tells her story. We have stories wow. just like that. We have a gentleman who's a 63 year old gentleman who was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. We had to carry him in the office. We, we couldn't even get him in the chair. He just shook like a leaf. It was a horrible, horrible situation. But long story short, we worked with him, and I found a, a virus, a neurological virus that was inflaming his brain, causing his Parkinson's like symptoms. So we put him on a program in Natural Antiviral program, killing the virus, putting him on a diet that's low in arginine, because arginine is an amino acid that strengthens viruses. We put him on a com- comprehensive program, and once again, three months later, he's jogging four or five miles a day. So he, he, he's incredibly fit and healthy now, no symptoms whatsoever. So these are great stories. They're incredible stories. And that's again what Christine and I, and I planned. So back when we started planning this, this concept, this, this kind of documentary expose, I started feeling really really kinda of, kinda of not so good. And I started having symptoms that were general malaise at first, just kinda of like like as if you had a flu or something like that. I was exhausted, I was fatigued, I had sore muscles, I had joints killing me, and it got progressively worse. I was taking my, my natural medicines of course, and over time it just continued to get worse and worse and worse. So I went to some physicians, friends and friends of mine who were physicians. They ran some extensive blood tests. They found that I had Lyme disease. Now, the type of Lyme disease that I had was, was called neuroborrelia because it affects your neurological system, affects your brain, it affects your thinking, your walking, your balance. Everything your brain is engaged in neurologically is affected by neuroborrelia. And so there's many different types of Lyme disease, and this is not a good, this is a, they're all bad, but this is like one of the worst types of Lyme disease. People die from this. People die from neuroborrelia. It's just incapacitating. In fact, I have a 71-year-old friend of mine who actually contracted Lyme about the same time, a little bit earlier than I did, and he actually passed away. He'd, he'd succumb to the disease. It's incredibly horrible. So, again, my, my muscles were weakening. I couldn't stand up. I couldn't walk. I got to such a point that I literally had to have a walker to walk. It was, I was crippled, really crippled. And one night I, I went to use the men's room before bed to brush my teeth and get ready for sleep. And I fell on, the, fell on the hardened tile floor. And I smashed my head on the tile floor. And I was paralyzed. I remained paralyzed for 14 hours in that position on the bathroom floor. And I was screaming for help. Nobody heard me. And for 14 hours, I just laid on that floor and had to decide that the fate of my life. You know, Did I want to live? Did, do I want to live crippled? Do I want to live unable to walk, unable to move? Just I couldn't move my head. I couldn't move my arms. Couldn't move my legs. Couldn't move anything. I was just stuck on the floor, immobilized. So much so that there's a series of bathroom cleaning agents on the, on the floor next to me that I knocked over when I fell. I was drinking them in, breathing them in absorbing the, the, the toxic cleaning agents. And it was just horrible, absolutely horrible. So nonetheless, 14 hours later, I was discovered on the floor, and they, they basically picked me up, and I eventually ended up in the hospital. But for the better part of two weeks, I I was completely paralyzed, and I didn't know if I was going to be paralyzed the rest of my life. It was a horrible story. I thought to myself, here I am, making a film, a documentary film about recoveries, they're miracle recoveries from patients all around the, the world that, that had remarkable turnarounds. And what, what ended up happening in the middle of the process, I actually had this horrible, this horrible confrontation with a horrible disease called Lyme disease. It just about took my life. So I'd, I'd gone through some incredible experiences. I went through some uh, rehabilitation, rehabilitation programs. I went through hospital programs. I was unable to walk for two weeks. But I, I went through some very deep, deep, intensive reexamination of my, my core self, my, my soul, if you will. And I, I became determined and programmed to walk. I became determined and programmed to get myself back in, in, in action again, and to, to, to heal my body. I took all the supplements that I, that I could decipher to take. I took very specific antimicrobial, natural herbal antimicrobials. I took things that are really powerful from the natural herbal perspective. But I actually determined mentally to uplift myself, to, to, to overcome the situation at a spirit, deep spiritual level. I became programmed to, to think positively mentally. I, I meditated very deeply. I went beyond meditation to what I call trance. I went into a series of trances, which the book talks about a lot. And I went into a series of trances, reformatted and reprogrammed my chemistry, my brain, my body, my mind. And lo, lo and behold, about two weeks into, in my, into my period of of complete incapacitation and immobility I started to be able to move my legs and arms again so I was going to rehab at the hospital and these are people that two weeks earlier told me I'd never walk again without a walker I started going to rehab and I was going to rehab four times a week and I started walking more, more extensively and more more balanced more, more strong and I started to slowly develop the ability to walk once again but long story short is I overcame the disease I'm I'm asymptomatic now. I work full-time. I'm back in the saddle again, and, and my life has changed radically. So I decided that I needed to write about that and include that. I mean, as surprisingly as it was, that it all happened. We weren't expecting it. But it became not only added to the, to the book and the movie. I should have told you there's a movie as well. There's a book and a movie that go together called The Way of Miracles. But in, in, the, um, in the interim, I went, through, I went through a complete turnaround spiritually, Mentally, emotionally, physically, and I just decided that that had to be incorporated in the book, and I had to share with people and explain to people that they have the capacity to be to be truly greater than they, than they're aware of. You know, we we don't we are not pressed into into the, into getting in touch with our, our potential greatness, truly true greatness. You know, the ability to be unlimited in our in our capabilities to override limitation, our ability to become truly miraculous. Re- stories unto ourselves, and, and I decided that that had to be included in the books. So I talked about the different meditations and trance states that I, that I went through when I, when I was in the hospital, and I talked about the patients that I worked with and all the different situations I've gone through with them, strengthening and, and, and reformatting their mind and their body, and between the patients' stories and my personal story, we have a book entitled The Way of Miracles, and we have a film entitled The Way of Miracles. The film actually was just released today. It's going to be released in 53 countries. It's a great story about life. It's a great story about your life. It's a great story about what you're capable of, what your potential is, far beyond your capacity to understand it. You know, And it's a question of do we want to go there? Do we have the, do we have the, the desire to go there? Do we have the confidence to go there? Do we have the willingness to believe? And I think that the key message here is we are greater than we are aware of, and we have the amazing capacity to to explore our greatness and to channel our greatness. In ways that are life changing, life saving, and truly miraculous, inc- incredible experiences. So that, that's what the book is about. That's what the film is about. And that's what I went through going into the experiences. Pretty amazing.
4: What we noticed when we were reading the book, especially right right from the get go, is that you made the decision to fully recover. And yes. I was thinking that under a lot of various circumstances, somebody who was lying on the bathroom floor for that long, inhaling um, toxic chemicals, would look at that as an exit point, let's just get out of this life, because obviously, it hasn't worked out all that well. And you know, I'm not feeling well physically. And it can be very depressing emotionally, mentally. But through all of that, you made this conscious decision that you were going to fully recover. And, and I think that uh, that's a, a point at which a lot of people might think the odds are just stacked too much against me. And I think I'm I'm done. I'm done. I just can't take the pain anymore. One of the things that, that followed that immediately that I wanted you to address a little bit, because everybody on planet Earth has things that they are dealing with. Whether it's relationship, career, finance, health, everybody's dealing with something. But you say brokenness is the beginning of an ending. And I like that. That's something that you can really kind of work with when you're reading your book because your book is very relatable. I mean, what happened to you people can extrapolate from that and use this information for their own better life. But I wanted you to say a little bit about how people are broken all the time, and it's the beginning of an ending. What does that mean exactly?
5: Suzanne, one, one thing I want to explain, too, is that in the middle of that experience being on the bathroom floor, you're absolutely 100% correct. I mean, I, I had to literally decide, because I thought to myself, the thing that disturbed me was, I'm sure I can never walk again. I got progressively more and more incapacitated. I got more immobilized, and I was more paralyzed as every, day that went, every day that went by. And I just decided that this wasn't getting better. It was getting worse. And I, I, at one point I said, I'm not sure that I want to live if I have to live like that. And I, exactly to your point, felt that way. And I, and I confronted myself on the bathroom floor. In the depths of my soul, I said, do I want to live? I, I asked myself that question. I said, I want an honest answer for me. Do I want to live? And I really drilled on that question. I drilled down deep with that question. And the funny part about that is I immediately just impulsively screamed for help. Help, help, help. Somebody, somebody help me. I, I screamed for help. My calling for help taught me that I, that I cared to live, that I wanted to live. That's how I figured out that I wanted to live. I didn't know any other way other than this impulsive, instinctual call for help that told me that I wanted to live. I didn't know until I called out for help, and then, then I was sure of it. I was clear about, about the fact that I, was, I had a drive to survive. Incredible. But to your, to, your, to your other point, you're 100% correct. Life is not always, life is, life is very difficult. Life is hard. And I think that so many people have so many different, so many, so many people have so many different obstacles in their way, so many different torturous obstacles in many cases, so much pain, so much suffering, so much change that's overwhelming so much loneliness, so much hurt, so much depression, so much anxiety. It's, it's incredible to live this life in this day and age. And so many people suffer from so many different components in, in day-to-day life. But I think the bottom line of it is you need to tap into your soul, like I said a minute ago, and determine whether you want to call out for help, whether you want to make a difference, whether you want to change the way you eat, whether you want to change the way you you, you live, whether you change your workout programs, whether you change your, your, your meditation program, whether you take up meditation, whether you take up the trance exercises, etc. But it's a question of how much do you want to call out for help? How 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 much do you want to make a difference at a, at a level where you're actually helping yourself, changing yourself, changing your life experience, and and disciplining yourself to do whatever it takes to survive? Because that call for help that I gave was indicative of my life, me, mattering to me, and I didn't know my life mattered to me at that juncture until that happened. So I urge everybody else to think in terms of Think of, think of the hurt, think of the suffering, think of the depths of your pain. How much does it motivate you to turn it around? How much does it excite you and inspire you to make changes, to make, to make it better, to, to improve, to heal the experience? It's about healing. It's really about healing. It's about healing from, from your own soul.
4: When my interpretation when you talk about the beginning of an ending is when you have these experiences that are devastating in whatever arena you are having them, you can look at that extreme, that that worst case that you are living and say, this is gonna end, this is gonna end, I'm going to, this isn't what my life is gonna be about. You can make a choice the way you made a choice and look at it as kind of working through the ending. Now, w- when you're saying the beginning of an ending, and I'm, I'm just saying working through to the end of that, is that pretty much what you were thinking about that? Get to the end of what this is, and so there can be a new beginning?
5: There's no question, and that's exactly, that's my, my whole thought at that point in time was it was important for me to, to consider the fact that I was ending and the ending, ending was happening. The ending forced itself on me. The ending was, 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 was leaving, me, leaving me with a clear understanding that it was, it was crashing into my life. So my, my opportunity was to either to steer the ending in a direction that I could actually engage in my own power and influence the direction of the change, and influence the direction of the ending, is, so to speak, or I could actually just be, be a victim and have the ending happen to me. So I decided not to, have, not, not to allow the ending to happen to me, but rather to, to invoke my own empowerment to determine the nature of the ending. So I said, I can, I can actually just let my, let my life be, be ended right now from, from this torturous situation, or I can actually end the ending of that situation, move beyond that into a new realm. That's what I decided to do. That's exactly right, Suzanne, you're right.
4: You know, when when we're reading this book, Gary and I are saying this is a great book about consciousness studies. You talk about various states of consciousness, and we've talked with a, a, a lot of people on our show about consciousness and consciousness studies. But what I liked about what you said was that you actually had some had some uh, thoughts about what consciousness is. And so I thought that would be a good place to, to go next.
5: Well, that's true. And I think that the other thing about that is, you know, when somebody has a traumatic accident and the physicians appear on the scene and they say, has he lost consciousness? That, that explains the, the awkwardness, the clumsiness, and the misnomer of our relationship with consciousness. We don't have consciousness. We are consciousness. And I try to make that point in the book, in the film as well. That consciousness is a state of being. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an awareness of our awareness. And you can actually occupy that with a, by, by being turned on at a soul level or turned off. So I believe that it's important to, to recognize that consciousness isn't something you can possess, isn't something you can, you can have, or something the world of medicine can determine that you are or you aren't. You are consciousness. You don't have it. You are consciousness. And your, your consciousness is a massive energy of awareness with a body wrapped around it. That's the key. You know, there, There's a great, it's like Sting when he wrote that song, Spirits in the Material World. We are spirits living in the material world. That's, that's, that's the key. We are spirits living in the material body. We have an essence of spirit, energy, of consciousness, pure, pure consciousness, which is, which is the most incredibly powerful energy in the world. It's awareness of awareness, like I say, wrapped around a physical form, wrapped around a body. So I think we need to think of ourselves in very different terms. I often say that this is really about re-identifying your, your, your eye. I say we are boundless energy surrounded by the illusion of matter. That's, that's a different perspective than, than we're, used to, we're used to thinking of ourselves as personalities, we're used to thinking of ourselves as egos, material beings, physical beings, cellular beings, tissue, organs, organisms. We are those things. But Werner Heisenberg won the Nobel Prize back in 1937 for, for determining that everything in the universe is 99.999% energy. Think about that, 99.999% energy. And from the material perspective, everything in the universe is 00.00, 00.001% matter. So we are energy. And that's a
2: big part yes, of what our consciousness. Yes, is, that's is true, Mark. I always wondered about Dr heisenberg if they had actually taken his award and put it under a box could he be certain that he won it good point just having, he's known for the uncertainty principle that's just uh
4: oh thanks gary thank uh, you <laughs> hey i watch big bang
2: theory here <laughs> mark minkoli is our honored guest of this hour and you know what mark you brought up quite innocently suzanne's favorite song of of not only Sting, but the police, police. marvelous yeah. band from the 80s. And we have pondered that in our conversations at home. I would like to pick that up on the other side of a short break so that we can talk about this idea that we are spirits living in a material world. And why would it be so? I, I accept it, but I wonder why. And I try to explain it to myself. Mark Mincola is our guest. Give us a couple of minutes, we'll be back with more of Manson Mitchell, more of living in this material world, talking things of a spiritual nature. Thanks so much for tuning in, we will be right back.
0: Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty. Yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at Loving.com.
2: I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music,
4: politics, and pop culture. And you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation. Nance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday
2: and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW.
4: Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington.
1: You pledged your life to serve, to make our country stronger, safer, more free, more equal. You worked tirelessly, made sacrifices, missed first steps and birthdays, lost loved ones. At VA, we don't see the setbacks endured. We see lessons applied, and passion driving you upward and forward. We don't see all the masks you wear, but we hope you can set some aside. We embrace your uniqueness, and won't trivialize your past, your fears, or your hardships. We can't promise to heal all wounds or wash away all trauma, but we do see hope, a path forward a future. We see all veterans. We see you, an opportunity to help you achieve a new mission, whatever that may be. Learn how treatment works and recovery is possible. Visit maketheconnection.net. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to ManceAndMitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests.
2: Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act.
1: Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere.
3: I'm Dr. Anthony Leizowitz, and this is Climate Connections. Elected officials are grappling with plenty of issues. Climate change, unemployment, inequality, and more. But some young activists say that these urgent crises are best solved together.
5: The only way that we're going to get our country to 100% renewable energy is if we do things like retrofit buildings or update our infrastructure or install solar panels, and that takes jobs.
3: Deja Powell is the Midwest lead organizer with the Sunrise Movement, a youth activist group. Sunrise activists are calling for a national program that would guarantee a job to anyone who wants one. Powell says that such a program would help build the labor force needed to transition the country from fossil fuels to clean energy. And she says it would create opportunities for people in communities that have lacked jobs and investment for generations. So it could help address systemic racism and economic inequality.
5: As a young black girl who grew up on the south side and south suburbs of Chicago, I think about my family and I think about my friends and I think we have some of the highest unemployment rates in a city like Chicago and it means having opportunities.
3: So the Sunrise Movement is calling for solutions that address the climate crisis and social justice. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To hear more stories like this, visit climateconnections.org.
1: Make us part of your daily routine. Alternative Talk, 1150.
3: You're
0: listening to an encore presentation of Manson Mitchell.
2: Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our interview with Mark Mincola. He has so many wonderfully abstruse things to say, but you know what? He brings it down to the level of how you can live in a radically different way for your benefit and the benefit of all those whose lives are touched by your own. His book is called The Way of Miracles, Accessing Your Super Consciousness, and he joins us for this entire hour. Uh, Mark, we wish you the absolute best with the sale of your book. It's hot off the press. It's been out about three days there, and I'm sure that the early reviews are very good.
5: And the We're We're number one on Amazon right now for new
4: releases. Excellent. Says it all. That's wonderful. Excellent. And do you have a website that you would like to tell our listeners about?
5: Yes, it's Mark Mincola. M-I-N-C-O-L-L-A, two L's, M-I-N-C-O-L-L-A, Mark with a K, com. Very good. And the other thing I should tell you is if folks want to want to check out the movie, they can go to thewayofmiracles.com. Oh, very good. You can actually check out the movie
4: couple of websites mark's website dot com, and if you want to check out the movie the way of miracles.com and i think this is going to be uh, just outstanding and thank you for thank being you close. so much
2: i don't know if we qualify as swamis but we predict a lot of success for you <laughs> the spirit say there we go magic eight ball and all Carnac. Carnac. I don't think you want any, any advice <laughs> or promotion from Karnak. But Hey, it's your choice. And we do have choice, though. We have choices in this life. Spirits in a material world. One of the things I wanted to ask you, Mark, before we might as well be now before we uh, run out of time. Have you had the opportunity to examine or how many discussions may you have engaged in where the topic of the non-locality of consciousness comes in? And by that, some of our listeners may find that strange talk, many will not. Non-locality indicates that this brain we carry is not the only collector distributor of thoughts, images, patterns, intuitions, flashes of insight, there, It is more, as Emerson, and I'm, I'm just paraphrasing Emerson here, it is as though there is a universal mind to which our individual minds are inlets. Is that the way you see it?
5: That's brilliantly spoken, absolutely right on the money. And I think the key is this, that we have a brain which is a biological entity. The brain is like a heart, it's like a lung, it's like a liver, it's like a kidney, like a spleen. The brain is, is a local representation of our our capacity to to render some connection to consciousness. Our mind is is infinitely non-local. So the the mind, who knows where the mind goes or where it can go? I think there's no limit to where the mind can go. I think there's no limit to dimensions. And we've been living in a three-dimensional world, and a five-sensory three-dimensional world is is the world of the past. It's no longer the present world. The present world is a lot more quantum. The concept is much more embraceable from the perspective of thinking no limitations to, to time and space. No limitations to locale so you, your, your thoughts can actually span the universe without any concept of time, without any concept of limitations of space. So, I, I we a lot of the work we do, we do a lot of energy work on people, muscle testing, things like that. We do that non locally because, again, we're aware of the fact that the local concept is purely a material concept, it, it, it harkens back to classical physics. But I think that the, the, the concept of quantum mechanics has changed the whole game of life, and I think that, like you point out, there's a non-locality factor that, that's changing everything. I believe that we, we communicate with each other in ways that we don't not even, we're not even in tune with, not even aware of. I believe we communicate with each other through extrasensory connections, electromagnetic frequencies, and through images of, of visual images and, and visual concepts auditory concepts, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that we're constantly picking up energy and transmitting energy at levels that are just unimaginably articulate and limitless. I think that happens in our day-to-day lives. We're not not tuned into it, not that aware of it.
4: You know, people want to know how to use this information practically. And I've got two different thoughts here that I'd like you to help me um, put together or do something with. And one is in your book, you talk about The heart, the mind, and the emotions synchronizing in order to unify with the universal life force. And I I get that. The other idea in there having to do with emotions is that you almost need to uh, detach from your emotions to change your thinking. And that seems more like an act of the will. Otherwise our emotions kind of run away with us. So um, if we're looking at in one sense, being able to willfully think our way into the, um, the miracle that we want to make. And then if you're also looking at heart, mind and emotions, synchronizing with the life force, how do you reconcile those those two things? How do you not let emotions get in the way of of synchronizing with the universal life force? Does that does that question make sense? Yeah it does.
5: It does. Okay. I think it does. And I think that the the concept of consciousness comes into play here again. You know, we we have the ability to to deal with the conscious mind the conscious mind has the capacity to deal with 2000 bits of information per second 2000 bits per second the the unconscious mind 400 billion 400 billion so there's there's virtually no limit to part of what we are and i think emotion is is is, is it, it's it's a limited capacity there's limited capacity to emotion emotion is more reactive than it is active so i think the objective is to be proactive not reactive and you don't have to shut off the emotions. That's not what I mean to say. I mean to say you need to engage at a different level, at a proactive level. So the, the key is this: I compare these two essences. Proactive consciousness, proactive conscious, proactive consciousness versus reactive subconsciousness. So I think that the objective is to be super consciously proactive, at a higher level, to be to be tuned into higher frequencies. You know, again, I wouldn't talk about miracles. I say there's four options in miracles. You can actually reject miracles you can accept miracles you can expect miracles or you can create miracles I think in order to create miracles we need to be more super consciously proactive and like you said I think when we're in a super conscious mindset we're tuned in I think Gary, you mentioned something like this you're tuned into the tribute you're tributarily connected to the main river flow which is universal consciousness universal mind I think when we when we're reflecting a connection to the universal consciousness with our with our awareness our super consciousness that's when we reach levels of being able to render miracles, being able to create miracles, going beyond the the prospect of expecting them and and hoping for them. I think we create them when we elevate our consciousness to tie in with the universal awareness.
4: I think sometimes when Gary and I are talking about um, what you might refer to as miracles, we're thinking of synchronicities. Well, isn't that interesting that we were just talking about so-and-so and and then they called on the phone. You know, we look at... uh, what we used to call coincidences as being more like synchrony, uh, synchronicities in our lives. And as we've also talked about before, Gary has a, a great uncanny ability to ask a question to which the universe will give him the answer. And, uh, and there are some great stories there. So there, there is that connection. You don't always say to yourself, I'm connected with the universe, but... You, you can ask questions and the universe can provide you with the answers to those.
5: I, I, I go to a different level altogether with that. I say, we are the universe. We're, we're not, we're not living in the universe. It's not like there's a, there's a domain, a domain here. It's not like we're living in a, in a city or a town or not like we're living in a galaxy or a solar system. We are the universe. We are the universe. When you think about what the universe is, we are that. So I think that the key is when we're, when we're conscious of the fact that we are, we are the universe, we're able to tap into universal thought at much more higher dimensional levels because we are that which we're, which we're in need of, of connecting through. And I think that that connection to that, aware, that, that raises the awareness that we are the universe, empowers us to become the universal answer that we're looking for.
2: And imagine what a confidence boost that is. On the purely practical level, when you understand that universal mind is yours to use, and to all appearances anyway, the universe doesn't mind. It doesn't begrudge you the knowledge and the wisdom that it imparts. It is freely available to everyone who sincerely wants to know.
5: Right, and I think se- se- I would say separation is an illusion. So the concept of the universe being a separate thing that I'm that I'm trying to kind of fit into, or trying to trying to rec- reconcile my relationship with. I think, I think everything, I believe in the unified field. I believe that in the concept of the unification process, that we, we are unified, with the, we are the universe. Like there's one unified field that, in, that includes us. And I think we are that, that we seek.
4: You know, we we didn't wanna end this hour without, without telling one really great story from your book of which there are many, but one of them that Gary and I got super excited about is when you were talking about past life relationships. We have talked to innumerable people about uh, past lives, reincarnation, um, and and all of that. And you have a great story on uh, page 78 about Maureen and Robert. You talk about the value of of um, knowing people from other lives and you're living this life with them again. And, and so our, our listenership is kind of in tune with that idea, but could you go ahead and tell that story about Maureen and Robert? Cause Seattle's even
5: involved in that. And it was a great story. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, it's a story about two people who were, they, they were, they're very far apart from each other. They were very close at one time and then they moved the other ends of the, ends of the, of the country, 3,000 miles apart. And this is when they're, they're initially together when they were much younger. And then, then through many, many years, they were separate by 3,000 miles and, and ex- extenuating life circumstances. Very, very difficult, different life circumstances that, that brought them into different worlds of existence. And I think the key is, is that they have some kind of deep energetic connection that never let go. So to me, my theory about that is is that we have connections with other souls that that we never let go of. But the objective is to understand that that connection never stops, even though though we're not perhaps aware of it. So they weren't thinking of each other throughout the separation period that they went through. They weren't thinking about what they initially connected with. So my thoughts about that are that we're always connected. We never stop maintain that connection that connection is forever and always happening we're just not always conscious or aware of it but um love
4: is really eternal in that
5: sense yes we talk about it with mediums
4: all the time that love is eternal and the the ending to this story which was just so fabulous was that this young man moved out to seattle and he was living in one of the seattle suburbs and after he moved in, he found out the love of his life was living, was living next door to him. Next door.
2: Well, let's fill in the details, Mark. I mean, that that is a thoroughly remarkable story. So building some detail around that, this is the stuff of which movies are made.
5: Well, again, they when they were much younger, they were connected at a, at a, at a level that perhaps most young people are not really capable of conceptualizing with any real sophistication. But they were young people who were just deeply in love with each other, very connected. And again, like you point out, they're separated by 3,000 miles and different lifestyles and different different experiences, radically different. I mean, they were just as far apart as you could get. And he he was restationed due to his work in Seattle many years later. This is going back probably 20-year period, 18, 18 years. And so he was in Seattle, as you point out, and he rented an apartment in Seattle. And, and the day that he was actually talking to the real estate people and, and looking at the, at the apartment, he, he noticed this woman walk out from the door next door as he was in the hallway talking to the real estate people. And she, she opened the door, she walked out, and he knew exactly who it was instantaneously. And he, he just excused himself from the real estate people, and they're embracing in the hallway, and this, the, the the whole the fireworks went off. They just absolutely were lit up about the whole thing. They, they were stunned. They couldn't believe it. But long story short is they, they got back together, and their life actually continued on. Is, is it once was many years ago, but the the love, like you say, was the was it the, the energetic bond there, not to be denied by any by any circumstances whatsoever. Powerful, powerful story. And isn't that
4: eternal love like that, whether it's a a man, woman, a relationship, or whatever that relationship might be, uh, parents, children, relatives, friends, there there is something where it it just touches you so deeply that you think that you have
5: been in love forever, eternally, infinitely. But I think I, that is true, but I think that there's something to be said here about everything without exception. Every event, every every energetic experience, everything completely, every all and everything is part of an orderly process that the universe has, has mapped out. Everything, 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 everything. And I think that I would say even chaos, is orderly, is part of the order. Even chaos, the chaos is even part of the order. So I think the universe is perfectly ordered. I think events such as theirs are striking events, but I think that that points to the fact that the universe has a magnificent handle on the whole process of unfoldment.
2: That's something I'd like to dwell on for a moment further because People, if they look at it in a, a Ripley's believe it or not kind of way, will say, my God, what a staggering coincidence. And you can celebrate that. It, it's a wonderful surprise to hear such information that such a thing could happen. But what if this reunion and the marriage that followed, the, the eternality of this bond is actually the culmination when they met again in Seattle? What if that's the culmination of a creative process which takes the chaotic elements of their lives and brings them together at just the time when it was possible for them to reunite. Now, that's what I call cosmic order, divine order.
5: It is cosmic order, but, but again, what if we what if we throw in another another aspect of this whole thing? What if there what if there is no time and space? So so this experience transcends time and space. Now, it's for us to think about it, the way it, the way it seems to have played out. Time and space play an interesting role in the process, but I think the universe is is more perfect than that. I think it's more organized than that. I think it's more powerful than that. I think it's more it's more ordered than that. I think that it does that beyond time and space. It it it, it's, it operates transcendently, miles above the concept of time and space. I'm not sure what we'd call it, but I, I think I just call it quantum potential or something like that. And I think that people like that are, they're, they're eternally, like I said a few minutes ago, I think they're, they're eternally bonded, period. And I think that they go through different changes, and, and the, the illusion of time and space seems to separate them. The illusion of time and space seems to, to make them wait for each other. But I think they were, they were married the whole time. I think they, they've been married, perhaps, since the beginning of time, since, since, and there's no beginning to time, no end to time. They are one. There's a unification, back to the unification concept there. I think that they, they've been unified, as we all are in, in, in ways that we don't understand. I think it, it just supports the concept of perfect unification process, the unification reality. Well, now we're kind of back to our consciousness studies
4: again, because in a normal waking consciousness where the brain is operating at a certain level, uh, maybe it's uh, beta brain waves or whatever. Um, you know, people see this 3d world and that's what seems like the real world. We're spending a lot of time in that world. When we go into other consciousness states and specifically, I'm thinking of the ones where you're either right before you fall asleep or right when you come out of sleep, your consciousness is a little, little different at that point and um, you, you talk about being a lot of creative power at those two times. So what, what is different about those two times than about when you're fully awake and the world looks a different way than it does when you're falling asleep or waking up?
5: Well, you mentioned beta. Beta brainwaves are indicative of the traffic jam mentality. If you're in a traffic jam and you're late for the dentist appointment, that's beta brain waves. That's just stress. It's, it's intense energy. Um, it's static. But then you've got, like you say, before you fall asleep, when you first wake up, that's more alpha. Alpha is more like a meditative state. It's a very mild relaxation state. It's it's um, it's a great healing state. Uh, it's a great anti-anxiety state. It's a great anti-depression state. So it's, it's a beautiful initial state of, of elevated consciousness. And again, the, the key is the lower The lower the um, cycles per second that that a brainwave state produces, the lower the cycles per second, the less tension there is. The more openness there is. The more fertility there is, if you will, of thought. You can go into delta. I talk a lot about delta brainwaves. I think delta is the key. I think for years we were all meditating for 20 minutes twice a day in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. I think we've gone beyond that. I think we have to become the meditation now. I think becoming the meditation is more configured around the idea of visiting delta brainwave states and practicing delta frequency work in your mind with great regularity. regularity. So you're you're going into deeper meditations. You're going into deeper levels. You're going beyond the threshold of of alpha brainwaves into delta brainwaves. And delta is, like I said, it's just a, to me, delta is, is 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 the way we tap into, delta is the way we tap into super consciousness and super consciousness is the way we tap into miracles.
2: I want to read a little bit from your book in one section. It's called The Liminal State. And in the second paragraph, I'd like you to expand on this a bit, Mark, because this will be new to a lot of people. And to some extent, it was for me as well. And there's a term in here that needs some explication. I'll read the paragraph. Many Buddhist schools refer to the ultimate liminal energy as the bardo state, B-A-R-D-O, bardo state and is best exemplified in the final threshold or crossover from mortal to immortal life. They believe that powerful energy generated by liminal consciousness is precisely what provides us with the necessary thrust as we break through the ethereal veil between our mortal to our immortal existence. I'm here to tell you, Mark, that Susanna and I belong to a center, a church, call it what you will, that practices and teaches mediumship and so when it comes to afterlife and afterlife number 1 but also afterlife communication we subscribe to this practice we believe in it and then i see bardo state and i wonder what the buddhist take is on that could you expand on it please
5: there's there's a great book written called the tibetan book of the dead and in the tibetan book of the dead they talk about the seven bardo planes there's seven seven different planes that they claim that after we pass away we go through these different planes as we evolve into our, our new state, if you will, our, our, our state where we pass over from the material world to the immaterial world, the spiritual world. And the Bardo plane actually is representative of like a series of veils or thresholds that, that, are, that are rife with, with energies that are actually more, more, um, more flow and less resistance oriented, I'd say. And, and material energies are more resistance oriented. Spiritual energies are more, more flow oriented. So there's a lot of flow in those states. So our spirits flow through the seven bardo states, and that liminal consciousness is what we—that's that's clearly what we what we are at that point. And at that point, we are we are pure liminal consciousness. We're just we're pure awareness of awareness. That's all we are, and uh, not to minimize that—that's that's what we're comprised of. I'm saying, and I think that the seven bardo states are representative of evolving consciousness as we move through the thresholds into higher realms of. A frequency. So I think that, you know, when, when we pass away, that's the Bardo planes are what the, the Buddhist conceptualize that we move through as we evolve to our, to our higher level of consciousness.
2: Thank you. I appreciate you very much for, for all that you have said in this book for being with us today. Absolutely. And I know that you have an appointment coming up, so we'll have to wrap it up as they say, but here again, I want everyone to know that the way of miracles accessing your super consciousness. The Way of Miracles, accessing your super consciousness. It's on the market now. You can go to Amazon. It's number one in its category as a new release. And I know that you're going to be very successful with this, Mark, and you're going to help help to shift people's consciousness in a way that they can turn practical. It's okay to be in the in the arena of the holy, the luminous and the numinous, and still have a good life and a good time doing it.
5: There's no question about that. Suzanne, Gary, thank thank you so much for your great interview and thank you for reading the book. You know, you do a lot of interviews when you when you write a book, not everybody reads the book. Some people are just kind of winging it and they they just kind of take take the, the shortcut approach. And you guys took the, the long way in and you you worked at it, you studied it, you read it, you comprehended it. You had great questions and a beautiful interview. Thank you.
2: Well thank you. Mark's we, we one didn't of those get guys to all
5: our questions <laughs> you, though. <laughs> you can't put it
2: past a guy like Mark. He's gonna spot a phony. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mark. We will do this again with you, sir. Thank you. Take care. All right. I'm getting a thumbs up from Mark Binkola. Wonderful. Oh, my goodness. Well, we have about a minute, minute and a half, and we do appreciate Mark Binkola. And Cola very much for joining us again the way of miracles accessing your super consciousness get yourself a copy today
4: who do, who have you got on trip talk trip talk is coming up at uh one o'clock, one o'clock pacific one, time on well, kk that's right
2: one to one thirty, and our theme is this way to canada oh,
4: the border towns
2: of washington state particularly blaine which has so much to offer in its own right and there's the peace arch and the peace arch park our buddy Matt Shea went there yesterday. He went on a field trip, turned into an adventure, and he'll have the story at one o'clock.
4: Excellent. Well, stay tuned for Trip Talk. Next, we have Christine Upchurch, and we will be back tomorrow.
2: That's right, 10 a.m. Pacific, right here With on AM 1150. Doctor. In the yep. meantime, by all and necessary means, stay cool, everybody. This kind of heat you take seriously. Thanks so much for listening to us.